Welcome to Rooted Within with Lily and Dan, a podcast that shines a spotlight on positive change makers, sharing their stories of legacy, inspiration, and impact. Each episode, Lily and Dan will speak to individuals who have made their dreams a reality, exploring their journeys, mindset shifts, and what motivated them. Join us as we explore the lives of those who are making a difference and let their stories inspire you to achieve your own goals. You're a person who's always at war with yourself. We're 17 in the monastery when I was there, okay? Okay. 17 adults. And it's like, we're all there. I mean, from different backgrounds and different values as well. But then you always constantly struggle about being at peace with them. But then I also realized that I needed to survive. I didn't know that there, there, I didn't know about taxes. I didn't know about that I need to pay bills because of the monastery. Everything's covered. Yeah, and yeah. we have no money. Like yeah. we're not salaried. Yeah. So I didn't know all of these nitty gritties about the outside world. But then I realized when I came, I do not know your mm. practices. I do not know the reasoning behind why you do what you do, but you believe in it. As long as it does not kill other people, does not hurt people, then I can tolerate it. Rooted Within with Lily and Dan. Dan. Hi. We have another exciting episode coming up. It's going to be a very exciting episode. How ethical are you? I, I actually think I'm very ethical. <laughs> like, I genuinely do believe that. Mm. Yeah, sometimes I think it gets tested. Well, let's find out. We have an amazing guest in the studio <laughs> today who has driven all the way from Abu Dhabi, got stuck in traffic. Rex, welcome to the Thank studio. Thank you very much. Very glad to be here. What a lovely studio. It's, really an, ama- lovely it's an amazing studio. studio. Yeah, it's it's, it's, it's it very cozy. I'm actually very surprised. It's our little zen place. <laughs> it is, yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining us. I know you got stuck in traffic. And you're, you're rushing to get here, so we yeah, do appreciate, again, uh, we do appreciate the time. No, it's don't be really, silly. No. It's fine. It's it fine. I think we're all used to traffic, <laughs> driving between Abu Dhabi and you know, Dubai on a regular basis. But welcome. We're very thank excited you. to thank have you here. Yeah, we're always keen to know a little bit more about our guests. So I guess, you know, tell us a little bit about Rex. Who is Rex? Obviously, I'm uh, Russian. I'm just kidding. I'm Filipino. <laughs> <laughs> I'm you can tell by the accent. <laughs> and the <laughs> I came here 15 years ago, but uh, something interesting about my life is I was a monastic, meaning to say I was a monk before coming over. <clears throat> Hang on, so wait, so entered, you were a monk? Yeah, I entered the monastery when I was 25. So, I, well, hang on a minute. And then 15 years ago. I, 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 I guess it's completely uh, throw me a second. I, I just love how our guests throw these little massive truth bombs and just walk straight past. So if you're from the Philippines, Catholic? Are you Catholic? Catholic or? Okay. People would usually have this impression that it's a Buddhist, you know, because it's mm. always it's a very what Catholic they have in mind. Country. But no, you know, it's, uh, we have, we have monasticism among Catholics. So you were a monk. Hang on. So how does one become a monk? Like, it's not something you wake up and be like, I want to be a monk. That's my career path. Well, in my is, case, it's, it's I woke up one, yeah, it's a calling, Got okay? you. and you have to be frozen to be there. <laughs> just kidding. No, my point there is, I, I, I woke up one day that I became very religious. When okay. I say religious in practice, like I would go to the church very early in the morning, etc. And then the, the priest saw me, and then they mentioned but the what made What made you become religious? I don't know, to be honest about mm. it. I have no idea. It just something happened. <sighs> Probably because there was something, okay. Let's go back. Go back. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I came from a very poor family. Not very poor, not, not, not dirt poor, but poor family. Okay. Yeah. And in the Philippines, you have a province. It's basically divided into three islands, Luzon, Visayas, Mindanao. Yeah. Manila is in Luzon. Okay. But yeah. I, I was in the Visayas. So I grew up. I graduated 19. My mom died when I was six. Okay. 19, I decided that, hey, I want to help my family. Okay. I'm being poor. I was at that time the only one who graduated in college. We're five. Okay. 
So I went to Manila with little money, okay, but and I was hoping that I'd get a job. And so my money would, uh, at that time, my estimation would last me around six months. Mm -hmm. And again, I said I probably would get a job. I couldn't. And the reason for that is my accent was different. I was very provincial. The way I was yeah. dressing up, etc. The way I'm talking right now is not the same as I was talking before. Okay. Completely different. Six months, no money. For some reason, probably because I was so young, I didn't plan of going back to my province. I don't know why. So... I went to Luneta. Luneta is a park in, in Manila. And that was the beginning of the first, I would consider it the first sunset of the many sunsets of my life. Okay. For five years, I became homeless in Manila. Okay. Homeless. I mean to say that I was taking showers in the gym. I was sleeping in the streets. I became street smart. And I was basically sleeping in the streets of Mendiola, Paco. For the Filipinos who are listening, you're going to be very familiar with these streets. Yeah. Okay. And, uh, and they're all streets within Manila. Sorry, that's where you were homeless. You were living in Manila at the time. You were homeless on the streets of Manila. Yeah, the streets of Manila. Wow. And I think the very first brush of, of danger that I encountered was... Ah, the, the, the first day when I got out of the bunk bed that I was renting because I didn't have money anymore. So <laughs> I, I went to the park and if I remember this correctly, there were around five guys approaching me. And in my mind, I was thinking, oh my God, five, I have friends, you know? Suddenly because they approached me, I thought that they were befriending me. So one guy gave me... Pepsi in uh, plastic, you know, when you're poor, yeah. mm -hmm. you're basically in plastic. Okay, so I, I thought that, hey, this is the beginning of friendship, etc. with the others. Oh, and, and then I drank it, I slept, I woke up the following morning with no bag, nothing, no money. They drugged you and robbed you? Yes, and apparently I got drugged. Wow. Okay, so that made me fall asleep. Yeah. So that was the, you know, the first brush of, with, uh, for some reason, I realized that people could actually just be too cruel. To be mm. honest about it. Because after that, probably after a week, I was eating rice in a plastic with a, ah, five pesos in my pocket, which probably the, the guys didn't notice. So I was eating rice again in a plastic and I was walking. Somebody just kicked me. Okay. These are memories that are very vivid to wow. me, to be honest. Yeah. Kicked me. And then just ran away. And I thought, why did they even why? do that to me? Yeah. yeah. Those, those are the questions. And I realized that people could actually just be cruel for no reason. Yeah. Which must be very challenging for yourself if you come from a place of not understanding why people can be cruel, like you're not cruel yourself. Yes, especially if you're young, mm. you know, and you yeah. don't really have a better understanding of how the world operates. And at least yeah. Especially coming from the province. But that started it. So many things happened that I don't even want to share it precisely because I decided on certain situations and many yeah. things that for the reason that I wanted to survive. Mm. Yeah. Okay, that was it for five years. But on the fifth year... There was a friend of mine who saw me and said that, what are you doing here? Because uh, I remember I was, I decided to knock on my friends. It's a, basically a salon, you know, a small salon in the Philippines. And I said that in exchange of food, etc., then I could take care of washing, you know, what yeah. you, you use for haircut, etc. Since then, they said, okay. But then probably just around several months, and he asked me to leave Precisely because I wasn't contributing to the financial aspect because I didn't know how to cut hair. Got you. Okay. So when I was going out, then a friend <clears throat> saw me and said, well, introduce you to a family. Just say that you know how to speak the English language well because I will introduce you as a tutor okay, to the three children. I got introduced. I was so tired that, you know, the mother saw me sleeping in the veranda at that house. Yeah. <laughs> say, hey. Anyway. Cut the long story short, the family was very, very nice. They adopted me. In, in that sense, yeah. okay, uh, give me allowance, it's an exchange of teaching the three children. And then 
that was the time that I got very religious. So if I have to go back okay. to your question earlier, probably all these things, you know, when you're, I don't know, for some reason, when you have nothing, the tendency, ah, two things. It's either you have so many things that uh, if God wants to test you, God yeah. will give you everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or if God want to test you, then he will give you nothing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or maybe even take it away. Probably. Yeah. So that was the time that, you know, for some reason, again, I became very religious. The priest saw me and said, uh, you're always here every morning. Okay. So every morning. Then uh, he started talking to me. And then we had this kind of spiritual conversation every time, every morning after the mass. And then he said, you, you, I think you have a vocation to become a monk. So he decided to communicate with the monks on top of a mountain in Mindanao, which is an island far from Manila. And then the monk said, the abbot, the superior said that, yeah, he's still too young. I was probably around 25, 24 okay. at that time. But I persisted. Okay? I wrote to them and saying that I just want to see the life. Yeah. I went there for six months. They, you know, they observed me, observed their lives. And eventually before going back, I applied to become a monk. And then they accepted me. And then that's it. But I, I lasted there for only five years. We would wake up at around 2 o'clock in the morning, always, every day. Because the very idea of that in Latin, it know, it's known as matins. Uh, the very idea is that you pray while the world was asleep. Okay. Mm-hmm. So we would wake up at 2. Well, 1.30 because I have to, you know, you have to prepare yourself. Yeah. Always every morning. The thing is, you don't get used to it. Because biologically... It's not normal. Yeah, it's <laughs> not normal. It's, that's yeah. why it's a sacrifice. But always, every day. And then, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> I, I started for some reason, because we were on top of a hill, I started teaching the sons and daughters of the farmers every afternoon. So there would be a window, okay? And then I would go down and I would teach. And the abbot, the superior said, yeah, I don't think you're for here. You have but, a vocation to become you, a teacher. But what did you learn in the time that you were a monk? That everyone, everyone, every day, every, everything passes away. Everything is transitory. And that there is no use to be bitter. There is no use to, you know, to be ungrateful. You know, resentful. To, to be resentful, yeah. to be very negative. That's the reason why I've never regretted my experiences. Mm-hmm. In fact, those experiences, even the times that I really had nothing, so many betrayals and so many decisions that I would like to think reflecting on them right now are unethical or immoral mm-hmm. yeah. in order for me to survive, still... I did not regret them. Wow. What did you teach the, the people of the village or the people, sorry, down the hill? ABCs, the basics. Okay. Because these are children. And I was thinking at that time that probably they didn't have money. Probably and there, if there will be opportunities, then they'd be, you know, they'd, at least they have the basics, basic understanding. And going back to your experience with the family that essentially adopted you and you were teaching their children, it was teaching something that you were naturally good at and wanted to do. Yes, but I didn't know it at that time. I was just no. teaching in order for, them, for me to survive. Yeah. See, it's a means to an end. Precisely. Mm. But now, generally changed. Because for so, me, yes. So sorry to cut you no off. Problem. So if if teaching didn't feel like a calling to you, what made you want to start teaching the kids? Like what drew you to do that? Yeah. You know, if you ask me that the question, I, I can't answer that. It's just yeah. that I'm drawn to certain things that I don't even know how to explain, mm. and I allow myself to be attracted to you it. Follow to your go intuition. The, yeah, the, the flow. Yeah. To follow that flow precisely because I realized now that I've become, I'm 53 now, becoming 44, 54 November. I've realized that if you follow the beatings of your heart, okay, the better you, you to become. The right place. Yeah. 
And what was the moment that you left the monastery? Like, what was that catalyst? Because he said to you, this, you might have a different vocation. All my adult life, I've been a monastic. So, for example, five years, I was in the, on top of the mountain being a monastery because it's a contemplative monastery. We're not allowed to be seen okay, by other people. That's okay. the what say contemplative monastery ah. is. We're not allowed to be seen. We have a grand silence. We cannot talk. Unless, For five years? Yes. Unless wow. few windows. Okay, few, you know. God, we wouldn't last. No. But, no, but I love it, to be honest. <laughs> I love it. What was it that it, you it's, loved It's like about a foundation it. of my being. What, I was going to say, what did you love about it? You just said foundation of a being. What does that mean? Uh, okay. Uh, the, 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 the routine, the schedule is we wake up at 2 o'clock, known as matins, we pray. It's chanted in Latin, okay? And these songs are basically lifted from the Psalms of the yeah. Bible, okay? So we chant. And then after that, we have meditation for 45 minutes, Okay, very early in the morning. And then we have uh, Lods, okay, which again chanted songs. And then after that is the Mass. And then we have another prayer. And then we study monasticism, the history of monasticism. Okay, anything about mon ma the monastics. And after that, we eat breakfast. Okay, and I'm in charge of preparing, for example, the breakfast. Uh, you get assigned. Mm -hmm. And then after that, I go to the farm because we need to be independent from the other monasteries. We need to be sustainable. So... Mm. We have a coffee farm. That is why I love coffee. I know Arabica from Robusta. I know the, the correct, you know, the mix of, of both. It's that. So that's uh, what I did. And then at around 11 o'clock, I go back to the monastery, the refectory, we call it, where we eat, prepare again. And then after that, uh, we have rest until 2 o'clock. We go back to the farm and then we study again. Studies about the Bible, so there are many every others. Every day. Okay, every day. That's Same every thing. day. Wow. Except for Sunday. In this time, you don't get to speak to yes, anyone in no, the outside we don't, we world. Don't. Why we can is only, that? Uh, because in a rush of words, many mistakes are committed. Interesting. <laughs> and uh, especially at night, we call it the grand silence. After dinner, absolutely, you cannot speak. There must I, be I something it, very peaceful and tranquil about that, obviously. True, but... Uh, that the, the world has this common impression that uh, if you enter the monastery, you're a saint. It's not the truth. It's farthest from the truth. You're a person who's always at war with yourself. I'm going to say, because often when you're put in a position of silence, yes, you're at war with yourself because you allow thoughts and thinking and stuff to, to happen. True. Yeah. True. And at the same time, we're still, we're, we're human beings. We're 17 in the monastery when I was there. Okay, okay, 17 adults. And it's like being in a place, you always constantly see them. You don't even love them emotionally, just like your normal definition of love where you mm -hmm. get attracted. Precisely because, you know, you're all, we're all there. I mean, from different backgrounds and different values as well. But then you always to constantly struggle about being at peace with them. Yeah. Relationally. Again, because you're trying to become a monk. You're trying to become a better version of yourself. Mm. You Unlike in the outside world. Yes. I was just saying, do you also struggle to be at peace with yourself? Come again? Do you also struggle to be at peace with yourself? Yes, because there are moment. many things that even probably among yourselves, uh, okay, there are certain things that you want to do, but you can't. Yeah. And there are certain things that you've done that probably you regretted. I shouldn't have done this. Okay. Wow. Or probably there are certain dreams that you want to have or to gain, but you couldn't for some reason. So it's always like, what's the right thing to do? Is this something that I need to do? So it's always uh, always those questions. But we, we want to focus. How do we become better human beings? Did yeah. you find that five years taught you how to really control your thoughts? 
No, that was struggle in the beginning. In fact, it was only when I left the monastery mm -hmm. that I realized uh, who I wanted to become. Mm -hmm. Tell us a bit more about that. I was say, what what was that? What do you want? What did you want to become? Sorry. When uh, when uh, okay, so what happened was they asked me to be in Manila because we there is a monastery there that runs a university. It is the active monks, yeah. and the abbot in the uh, on, on the mountain told me that probably you know you're for here not being with us. So it, it was at that time that uh, they asked me, do you want to become a priest? And I said, no. Okay. Why was it a hard no? <laughs> because I didn't feel it. Okay. okay? I, I w just wanted to become a monk. But since my gift is one of teaching, so. then I'd better teach. Mm. So, okay, they said, uh, go and uh, have your master's at De La Salle right. University and also have your PhD there. So I pursued it. So they yeah. they supported that they covered that. For yes, you. because we run schools or university. Okay. That's the reason why. Usually, you're supposed to be a priest first. Then, if you want to pursue your PhD or masters, then it's fine. But me, I didn't want to become a priest. But they realized that uh, I'm gifted in 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 terms of teaching, yeah. etc. God gave me that gift, and I'm saying this, you know, with uh, being grateful to the God to the gift given to me. So I pursued it, and then they were planning to. They were training me to become the president of the university. I became, at the last level, the director for administrations, like the second in command. One day, okay, <laughs> I sat, I looked at the, my monitor, then I said, my computer, and then I said, I want to go somewhere else. I've been a monastic all my adult life. I want to see the world. So <laughs> I said, where do I want to go? And then I switched on the computer, Dubai. That was the first time. That was the first thing. Okay? And have that you comes. ever heard of Dubai by that point? You well, because there Dubai was or... a movie in the Philippines at that time about Dubai. Okay. So, so this was around 15 or 16 years ago. And so I said, I wanted a university that's Western because that's my training. I Googled and came American College of Dubai. Okay. Close now, but that was it. And then so I submitted my CV online. Around three to four days, I get a call. Okay, well, email first, and then asking for an interview. I get a call from the dean, and then I was already trained at that time, so I improved myself a lot. And then what happened was uh, saying that, okay, the, the, the president will interview you the following day. Be available. The president interviewed the following day, and they said, how soon can you come? We need you in summer. And summer means, uh, I think that was in... April, summer in the Philippines, okay? So that, that was like around three weeks. And then I said, no, I need to ask permission from my <laughs> from the monastery. I asked the permission from the monastery. He said, no, because you're already a solemnly professed monk. Like I was, I've been in the monastery for so long that yeah. I already vowed, like I did that. They gave me a ring, you know, it's okay. all this ceremony. And we have a vow of stability that the moment you enter that monastery, you will die there. That is why we have a cemetery in the monastery. Got you. So, a lifelong commitment. Yeah, it's a lifelong commitment. That is true. Wow. But uh, I, I rebelled. Okay, so I, I said, no, I really need to go back for some reason. I need to get out of the monastery. And the superior said, I'll, I'll, I'm giving you one year. See the world, but you need to come back. Okay, because your papers, everything, they're in Rome. If you don't want to come back, then you need to write a letter of, I, I forget the term, the monastic term, but it's like disavowing yeah, okay, okay. your vows. And uh, Why do you think he let you go? Because... If it's not done. Like, yeah. you, once you're in, that's it. Because I didn't want to be there anymore. But what about other people? There must have been other monks who felt that way, or are you like the only monk that's ever wanted to leave? There are others as well. There are mm -hmm. others. But uh, mine was a special case because I was a solemnly professed monk. 
but I think uh, the way we operate in the monastery is uh, it's you know it's your freedom yeah. in the end they will they will try to encourage you etc but in the but end they can't keep yeah, you can't yeah keep it's a choice sure mm. it's a choice yeah. and then I came that was basically it so <laughs> So much, so, much, so much for a year. Yeah, then you ride in Dubai and you've been here, what, 15 plus years, years later? Yeah, and that was the time that I realized that I need to become a better teacher. Because the thing is, I'm a Filipino and it's not uh, the teaching or being in education is not the industry for Filipinos. We're basically known as nannies, yayas, service in the service industry, yeah. waiters, etc. So very rare to be able to see a Filipino teacher, professor mm-hmm. for that matter more so. And the first time I was looking at the door for Zay, I said, oh my God, these are very tall young <laughs> ones. And these are, you know, they probably speak better than the way I, sp- you know, I speak, etc. So all these insecurities. But then I also realized that I needed to survive. I didn't know that there, there I didn't know about taxes. I didn't know about that I need to pay bills because of the monastery. Everything's covered. Yeah, and yeah. we have no money. Like yeah. we're not salaried. Yeah. So I didn't know all of these nitty-gritties about the outside world. But then I realized when I came. And then, but I was so focused, okay? The gift that was given to me by God was teaching. It's like a seed. It will not grow by itself. I need to make it grow. So anything that's related to teaching, like the way, you know, how you speak, the way you use your hands. If you notice, I'm usually very expressive with yeah. my hands. But the thing is, this is something that is not natural. I studied it precisely because I realized that students are more engaged when you use your hands. Yeah. So I looked into, you know, I YouTube many other things because I want to see how the best speakers talk and mm-hmm. basically, you know, actuate on stage. Yeah. So I also enhanced my PowerPoint presentations to make sure that, you know, my students are engaged. So anything related to teaching, I enhanced. Yeah. Okay. And uh, that was just the focus, to become a better teacher. And then I think on the, the very first graduation, and this really changed my life, the very first graduation. And I knew that what I was doing was correct because uh, the cum laude during his, uh, his address, you know, during graduation, he stopped his speech. I was at the other side. I was busy remembering what's the sound or the music after his speech because I was assigned, you know, to the logistics. And then suddenly... People were clapping. Parents were clapping. And I heard the, the student talking about how Dr. X me, how, how I changed not just his life, but the lives of many students. Oh, wow. So all of the students, okay, the graduating students, basically just stood up and started clapping. And I was like, what happened? But I knew at that time that they were basically for students, but that changed my life. Because you were not expecting that. Yeah, I didn't expect that. I didn't expect that. How did that. it I make was, you feel? Well, I was grateful. Grateful that God has given me that, that skill and that talent. And grateful of the fact that I responded to it, mm. to that talent. So basically. You must have also been really touched by the t- kids. Very much, yeah. very. And I was, I was so shy about it. <laughs> because even the parents. I, I think it's basically here in my, in my uh, phone. The video, I treasured it precisely yeah. because that, that was the first time. And then newspapers, college time, golf news, TV station, suddenly, you know, all the, these interviews. And then I realized that I could capitalize on it. So that's, that was the beginning. So now as a uh, segue to, you know, to this teaching, I've been asked to, to speak, to talk about, you know, usual inspirational ones. Yeah. Etc. So that, that was the beginning of it. And then I realized also that uh, I'm alone. Since I'm alone, I, as, a, as a Filipino, I need to be employable. 
Yeah. You know, that's the practical side of, of it. Of course. I don't want that I will I will die looking for jobs. I mm. want jobs to be looking for me. That that was the shift financially speaking. And you teach in ethics, correct? Mm. Yeah. Not just ethics, though. But there's so much more. Yeah, sorry. I know that's yeah, a now I'm, I'm teaching ethics, yeah. Too. Yeah. But I'm teaching also, you're correct, organizational behavior. Why did you choose ethics, if that's the right word to use? Like, how did you fall into teaching Or did uh, ethics choose you? Yeah. Wow, that's a good, great question. So that's what I was thinking. Because you talked about stuff previously. It's like you talked about your experiences, like, you know, on the streets of Manila and how people weren't really ethical then. You know, they drugged you, they robbed you. You've had experiences in life where you've encountered unethical behavior. So what was the, the, what was the reason why you ended up teaching ethics? How? I think probably because for the longest time, even until now, I just want to be a better person. I, it's always in my mind, okay? And when I say to become a better person in relation to my career as a teacher, and I realize that to become a better person, there are certain principles and frameworks in ethics that you need to follow. Yeah. That you become, you know, that, that becomes your, that they, be, they become your moral compass for that matter. There are certain guidelines that you need to be anchored mm. on, okay? But, but what, what university courses have ethics as a module? Currently, yeah. in, uh, I'm teaching at Zayed Military University. Okay? And basically part of their, aside mm-hmm. from about uh, war strategies, etc., about military, uh, it's basically uh, the reason why they asked me to teach ethics is precisely because for them it's a very important foundation in leadership mm-hmm. that they understand that their actions or decisions that they need to make are going to be ethical. So they have you are consequences. True. Yeah. They, have, they have consequences. Yeah. Not just for themselves, but for, for the people that they love or probably yeah. the, the wider audience mm. for that matter. So they put that in their curriculum. Okay. And also in some in many Western universities, usually ethics in universities. Well, like are in there. Or, well in the organizational there would have been ethics, no? Yeah, the, the fact that you have, for example, you have the manuals. Yeah. You have sections for ethics there. Yeah. What you can and you cannot do in your yeah. organization, etc. Fundamentally, can you teach people to be ethical, or like you said, is it a foundation? Is it something that you inherently yeah, have to, to be have? taught how to be ethical? Because if not, if they only depend on themselves, that they're saying that hey, this is how I feel, okay, yeah. and therefore it must be right. Usually, I say no. Okay, the the thing here is ethics usually come either from culture, from your religious mm-hmm. belief, and uh, from from experiences. But uh, wh- whatever it is that you feel should be guided by all these structures. Yeah. Because you cannot decide by and for yourself alone. Because mm. I guess you're influenced by behaviors okay. of the people around you, of the past, of circumstance, of so many true, different things. True, true. Is there a set of universally agreed ethics? Because like we said, yeah. different cultures are in different ways. What, what would be deemed, you know, ethical... Uh, asking the question because like you know with respect or with behavior some things are considered rude in some culture and not in others yeah. does that work with ethics that is known as cultural relativism right what is right for one culture is not yeah. necessarily right for another culture okay. but i always say this to my students wherever you are for example if you're chinese or filipino or syrian whatever nationality but you are in dubai you need to be conscientious dubai. and follow the rules and regulation of dubai that because that is you it's know what host. is known as cultural ethics yeah but is there a universal set of ethics? Like, is there like a Ten Commandments of Ethics? Yes. Uh, okay. There is what we call currently, past, present, and probably in the future, mm. there are three frameworks in ethics. Cultural relativism, the mm-hmm. one that we were just yeah. uh, talking about. 
And uh, the other one is Kantian Ethics by Manuel Kant. Okay, Manuel Kant was born in Königsberg, Prussia. Okay, he's a German. And he came up with a universal ethics. Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. Yeah, even until now, there's still a debate. Okay, what do you mean by universal ethics? Uh, it means... Uh, are you fam- you're familiar with the golden rule, right? Do unto others as you would like others yes. do yeah. unto you. Yeah. This is an example of that universal mm. ethics. Yeah. That there are certain things that are universal, certain beliefs that are universal, and does not they do not depend on culture mm-hmm. or personal preferences. Virtues, for example. Yeah. Virtues are basically universal ethics. Like uh, kindness is universal. Yeah. See, love is universal. And they don't necessarily depend on the interpretation of culture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so but I, I'm going to say, but, but they people still must have, have have different meanings for them, though. I was just saying, d- different people have different interpretations of love and kindness, um, and yeah, but you know, the thing like you, is, got, you got you got that whole, you know, there's that other, uh, you, be cruel to be kind. That yeah. is why it is always necessary to to study. Yeah. To research, for example, you were saying that the different interpretations of love, but we all know for not we. Okay, and I have to be very careful with this. There are different impressions of love. Okay, yeah. and usual this impression of love, for example, attraction. Mm. You know, wherein some people actually just see someone, a man or a woman, and say, "Ah, he's he or she is the one." Mm. Yeah. But that is just attraction. It's not and, love. And, no, it's not that's love. It's basically that's lust. <laughs> that is sexual love. Yeah. Another yeah. impression of love. And people think that if that person is not capable of having sex with me, then kalas, no more. Yeah, but that is not love. Good. Yeah. That's sexual love, okay? Mm. And it is anchored. The foundation of that is just basically attraction. Mm. It's physical. It's physical. Yeah. Okay? Men are basically physical. We've always defined in philosophy love as uh, loving the person for he or who she is, including that person's limitations and mm. shortcomings. Oh, wow. True. Okay? Yeah. Including. That is the reason why when a student asks me, Doctor, you know, uh, there's this woman, for example, okay, that I love very, very much, and we're about to get married. What do you think? Is she the one, for example? Okay? And I've heard this many times, mm-hmm. and I would always say, look, if you're able to tolerate your partner's, you know, for example, if your partner snores at night very, mm-hmm. very loud, okay, loudly, are you able to tolerate it? Ask, your, yeah, ask yourself that question. The, the way that the, the person that you love, for example, the way he or she handles the, the, the spoon or fork, you know, or probably certain things, you know, the, the, yeah. the quirks, okay? Yeah. If you're able to decide for yourself that you'll be able to tolerate them, then that is love. Mm. Oh, wow. Better known as unconditional love. Yeah. yeah. It is unconditional. That is the very definition of love. It is very romantic when you say it. But it's very hard in it's practice. It's bloody hard. <laughs> no, but it's true because, like, by by nature and default, like you know, we get irritated by each other. Generally, you know, like there's certain things that people do that mm. can start to really mm. frustrate. Mm. Let's say, especially in relationships, especially over a period of time as well. But it's very interesting, like you said. Yeah, it's like it's that unconditional. Like, can I tolerate you? Can I? Like can I used I to. I used to always. You? I used to always say, "I love you for who you are, not what you do." Yeah. It's really interesting then because you go into the world, we're going to go into a rabbit hole right now, but then, you know, <laughs> go into relationships and people want to try to change the other person. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, that's impossible. Yeah, because that's not love. People get attracted to the ideal. Yeah. To the ideal person based on his conception of what is ideal. Mm-hmm. And that becomes disastrous in the end. Mm-hmm. Because a person, a human being, will always, always disappoint that ideal. Well, we're flawed. Of course, because it's not real. Yeah, precisely. But many people don't realize that they're not real. Yes. Or they have a hard time accepting that it isn't real. Yeah. Mm. So what so was the questions. third pillar? 
uh, the virtue of Aristotle, Aristotelian ethics, basically virtues. virtues. You know, according to Aristotle, you know that what you're doing is ethical mm -hmm. if it is in moderation. I'll okay. give an example, okay? <laughs> uh, eating, okay? Anything that's too much and too little is unethical. Yeah. For example, if you eat too much, you become unproductive. You become, you know, become sickly, etc. If you also eat little, then you also become sickly. You also become unproductive. You become lazy mm -hmm. for that matter as well, mm -hmm. right? So the technique to that is basically to be in moderation. You mm -hmm. can eat everything, but in moderation. And that's the kind of principle across life. Yes, in order to have a productive life, a yeah. better life, according to Aristotle. That's the third principle. It, it is actually applicable to everything except for very few ones. Another one is sleep. Yeah. Okay. If you sleep too much, mm. then you also don't become productive. If you sleep too little, you become so you know heavy, foggy. That's true. Foggy, yeah. etc. So you have to sleep in moderation. Did you Did you ever have anyone that you struggled to teach ethics to? Well, that's a very good question. Like, are you students or what? yeah, yeah or anybody in life, anyone you've come across? Life, I think, but like as as a as a usually teacher. the traditionalists. When yeah. I say traditionalists, uh, these are people who, and, and usually, and let me just say this straightforwardly based on my experience, people who are very, very absolutely religious. Yeah. You would think that they'd be the most ethical, no? The, the, if you look into the history mm. of humankind, the, the abuses made and the wars Under the name of religion. Under the name of religion. It's very true. Even to this day. But that's the irony, right? Because yeah. you would think religion would be ethical. Yeah, but yeah. only be in the purest form of what it stands sure, for. Sure. But only because religion can be manipulated. Mm. Yeah, because and heavily influenced. Faith. Yeah, heavily influenced, manipulated, interpreted yeah. differently than yeah. what it should. I think it's the interpretation is. of it. You know. But I've always believed that regardless of your religion, that is the reason why when I asked about this, how do you, as a Filipino with a different belief, how do you teach ethics, mm. okay, in Arab, you know, the, mm. the context, basically you have Arab students. And I said, because I realized grow, going old that at the very heart of all religion is love. Mm. Yeah. And if you know the definition of love, the practice of love, then it's something that's universal mm. where everyone is able to relate. The only reason why there are different interpretations of love is precisely because it's... It's very dangerous when you only know little yeah. and without really digging into it and you think that what you say and the knowledge that you get by that very shallow uh, research or study is the truth when in fact it isn't. Mm. So do you, think, do you think ethics is black and white? No. Right and wrong? I always say this, it's conversational. It's mm -hmm. not absolute. Mm -hmm. because, so it's uh, gray. Yeah, and that's true. The, but there, there's only one thing that I believe to be absolute when we mm -hmm. talk about virtues, kindness, love, etc. that I mentioned. These are the ones that are absolute. But all the others, generally, these are all cultural. Yeah. For example, uh, Herodotus, the very first Greek historian, and I always remember this story because something to do with relativity of ethics. Among the Greeks at the time, what happened was, you know, they, they buried the dead. Yeah. But he traveled because he's a, he was a well-traveled man. And then he realized that there was a tribe whom, you know, who liked him. And at night they were gathering. And then he realized that that was being served was basically the brain of the person, mm. of a hero, oh, their awesome. hero. 
Okay? <laughs> so he told that story when he went back and his community was saying, ah, that's taboo, that you can do that, etc. That's immoral, that's unethical. But the point here is, the reasoning of the tribe was that they admire so much that person who died, that hero, that they want the legacy. And that was their belief, yeah. to be passed on. And the only way to do that is to eat the brains of that person. And they consider it to be right. But see, there you go. It's, it, I, I'd still, I'm still questioning whether you can have a standard universal ethics, even with a base of love. Because that's an example of how, how love was shown in two very different yeah. ways. And it was, at the base of it, was love. But surely at the core of humanity, there is something... You would think that anchors you, all of us would, together, you, you despite think. different culture, different perspectives, different upbringing, that there is something would, somewhere that think. unites us all. But you would think. But yeah. the, 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 the more I live, the more I'm like, hmm. It's a, it's a very interesting question. I always say this, understanding, tolerance. I think that's the biggest thing, isn't tolerance. it? It's tolerance and understanding. And for me, that's going to be more universal because the thing here is I do not know your mm. practices. I do not know the reasoning behind why you do what you do, but you believe in it as long as it does not kill other people, does not hurt people, then I can tolerate it. Yeah. Because again, I have to go back to the primacy of life. Mm-hmm. Life. Yeah. That's absolute. That's the, mm. the top of the hierarchy. Because whether you like it or not, there is a theory that, uh, well, if there are no people, there will be no ethics, which gives you an idea that ethics is a human construct. 100%. And since it's a human construct, let me relate that we value life so much, so the priority should be life. Yeah. We yeah. serve life more than anything yeah. else. We want to live. True. Except that, then, then, but, but then there's a flip side to that as well, that because life is the ultimate, it has also caused us to behave in ways that are not ethical. Yes. Because we might prioritize our life over the life of someone well, else, for example. True, true. Yeah. Wow, that was and tough. That is, that's to go very deep. I think, that, 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 is why, that is why your belief is necessary. Yeah. Because that's I'm fascinated by this because it, it, this is what I mean. So you can talk about it, yeah. but then when you dig a little bit deeper, you're like, oh, hold on a minute. That's not absolute. It's very complex. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's, it's fascinating. That is why heroes, saints are very are, are different from us precisely because while they value life, it's always the life of others, others more than their own yeah. lives. See? Ooh. And I think that is where the greater love is. Mm. Yeah. In the doing things for others, yes. the giving. And being able to sacrifice yourself for the benefit of the Without others. ego. That yeah. is true. Without, Without ego. ego. That is true. Because when ego comes into that, it's a whole bunch of other messes. And that is not love anymore. Well. That is selfishness. No. Yeah. Yeah, because you, you see it. I've seen it, true. sadly, with a lot of people true. using the whole umbrella of saying they're of service or charity yeah. to feed their own egos and their, the behavior is actually not very cool. And that is why you have also to look at it from the utilitarian point of view. Whether is it really love to love yourself, preserve yourself than the others? Mm. Or the real definition of love is in giving service or loving others more than yourself. Mm. Yeah. So if you look at it from the utilitarian point of view, our world would actually be better if you're able to sacrifice yourself for the benefit of the others. Yeah. Mm. More than preserving mm. your own self. So if you ask me, I would rather that you give service to others you know, as long as you can. Yeah. Right? Sacrificing yourself because I, I've always believed that it's necessary to sacrifice what is good to attain the best. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Ooh. What's next for X? That sounds like it should be on t shirt. What's next for X? Well, there we go. I like that one. What is next? 
I don't know, probably will die. And yeah, we're all we're all gonna get there eventually. No, no. I, I'm I'm a very realistic person. I, I'm 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 idealistic in the sense that uh, I believe in I, I believe in my belief. Okay, yeah. And as in really really believe in it. But I say I was also a man of the streets, mm. even not until now. I would like to say. And but the thing here is, I also realize that everything is transitory. To be honest yeah. about it, and this is the reason why I keep on on making sure that uh, I, I enhance myself more the gifts in order to be able to serve the community better. Yeah. I've, I've given, I always give talks every week for free. I've never asked for money, even from companies, mm. educational institutions. I usually average in a week, both online and physical uh, talks, probably around three or four in a week. Mm. Wow. Usually. And These that's are, you giving back. Again. That's you giving back to people. Yeah, that's, that's you sacrificing yourself. Yeah, that, because that's aligned to my strength. Yeah, mm. you know that that's the gift given to me. I I'm very bad in numbers in mathematics, to be mm. honest about it. So I don't you know involve myself with that. But for the gift given to me, speaking, teaching, I have to make sure that they're all given. Mm. Because when I die, at least if there is a God, okay, and God asks me what have you done, I would just say that you know I've despite of my shortcomings, of my sins of the past, okay, I finished the race. Mm. Okay, I've finished the race and I would like to think I've finished it well. I have to say it boldly. I have mm. to claim it. Yeah. Wow. Here's to claiming it. Yes, for sure. <laughs> Rex, it's been a pleasure to have you here today. Thank, Thank you for coming in. Thank you for coming by. We do appreciate it, obviously, all the way from Abu Dhabi as well in, uh, in rush hour traffic. Yeah. And apologies again. No, never, no, never. No, no. never. Here's, I, here's, I mean, I guess we never even know. Yeah. Let's put it that here's, way. Here's to uh, even more Yes, we need a more ethical world. Thank you for sharing that. It was honestly it's a, it's such a pleasurable well. conversation. Thank Pleasure right. as well. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Rooted Within. If you like this episode, please make sure you drop a follow so you never miss an episode in the future. Rooted Within with Lily and Dan.